Can you hear us? Yeah, hey guys, how you doing? Good, how are you doing today? Ah, real good, real good. Like your background. Yeah, it kind of (laughs) reminds me why I work so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta find paradise, right? Yeah, yeah, there's a couple day vacations every once in a while, you know? (laughs) Gotta make life go smooth somehow. I've actually had a couple crazy years, so it's kind of like, you know, I, I actually need a vacation. I haven't had one for a while. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, let's just get started. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, basically, I'm a lifelong martial artist that grew up in the uh, Burmese martial arts. And my, uh, my grandfather taught me. My grandfather had lived in China and Burma. He was actually of Irish heritage. He married a uh, Burmese woman. My grandmother was Burmese. But um, I basically grew up learning Lethwe, Nabon, Thine, and Banshe, which are different forms of uh, Burmese martial arts. And when I was young, I was really, I, I got into a lot of kickboxing. I fought in Burma, fought in Thailand, fought in Laos, Cambodia, Japan, China. And uh, basic, basically, you know, I, I was fighting constantly from 15 to 26, had a car accident, and had to take 10 years off, came back at uh, 37, fought again in mixed martial arts, kickboxing, and a little bit of grappling, and then uh, ended up retiring again, you know, kind of devoted myself to teaching that whole thing. And then I, um, I ended up getting cancer and I had to take three years off, got my health back, we had moved to Vegas, and I started teaching again in Vegas, and I, I was 53, and when I started teaching again, uh, how do I phrase it? I really missed that feeling you get when you compete. So I started to do a lot of grappling competitions again. So how did you, uh, I guess, let me rephrase that. With all of the um, different styles of martial arts that you got into as a kid, what initially led you into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Well, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu really isn't something I got into until later in life. It's one of those things I was doing submission grappling and I was teaching mixed martial arts in the New York, New Jersey area for years. And uh, like I always say, any, any, any combat sport or any martial art with a combat sport perspective, okay, has to adapt to everything it sees. Mm -hmm. So the idea is back in the day in New York, now New York had a lot of sambo players back in the day. Okay, so it's kind of like I, I started competing like back in the uh, 90s. I was in a super fight tournament early 90s with Rodrigo Gracie. So in other words, I was competing against BJJ guys. I was working out with Sambo guys. So I started to, you know, the riddles, their style started to present. Basically made me start to work their styles too. And, you know, we got to the point where uh, I think I was... In my early 50s, like 54, 55, when I got my black belt in jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. And then I started to, uh, it, it's kind of funny because I'm one of these guys that I had never really trained in the game. I hated the game. I said I would never compete in the, you know, in other words, all those things you say when you're younger. Mm-hmm. When you're older, you find yourself saying, you moron, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> so it's kind of like, you know, I ended up doing the worlds in both the Noki and the Gay and uh, the Nationals and stuff like that. So it, it's kind of, it just gave me another, you know, it was instead of just doing submission grappling, it allows me to, to be JJ too. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm more or less like, you know, I teach a blended grappling style, not just, you know, plain BJJ. We're big on leg locks, neck cranks. Basically, you have it, we'll twist it. <laughs> <laughs> what, was it? More, what was that? I was just going to ask, what was it like to uh, go up against a Gracie? Well, I got my ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> Especially 
being, I'm assuming, one of the introductions to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to you. Right, right. You know, in other words, he, 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 was, he was really good. And, uh, you know, I kept going for leg locks and kept, kept getting burnt. <laughs> well, you know, what, you know what it is? You go in with a game plan thinking to yourself, the only thing I'm, I'm possibly going to get, it would be like if you, if you rolled with Marcelo Garcia. Okay, you're going to say, well, I'm going to go in and maybe I get, you know, in other words, a, a broken clock is right, twi right twice a day. So maybe I get lucky. You know, he's going to beat you 99 out of 100 times, but you're hoping this is the one out of 100 times you could actually beat him. Yeah, right. Yeah, so in other words, it's, it's, I'm one of those guys that, like, even now, in other words, I, you know, I don't care who you put me put in front of me, I'll take the match. It really doesn't make a difference. Like, if you call me up, on like, I've taken matches and cut 20 pounds on, you know, two days' notice. You know, just because I love to compete. 20 pounds in two days. That's crazy. It's all water. I'm actually, I'm, I'm actually, I tend to be really lean and hold a lot of water because I'm a vegan. Mm. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. That yeah. So it's kind of like weight cutting, like, you know, in other words, weight cutting for me is kind of easy. I bleed it so fast. I joke around that, like, if I get a call and you tell me I need to cut weight, it's almost like my body starts cutting weight on song. <laughs> yeah. It is, but what was that? I was just going to agree with you. It is much easier for people who have, you know, more muscle than fat to like just store more water because that makes up like 75% of it. Well, so you can also, you can also leach water from muscle. Okay. Mm -hmm. In other words, fat holds on to water. Mm -hmm. Like I don't care how you cut those fat cells have a lot of water. in. Mm -hmm. Okay. Whereas the muscle, you can leach the water out of the muscle. Oh, I understand. Like when you like uh, sweat and like, I understand. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of have always opted for, uh, since I discovered the science, I love it. I've always opted for uh, reverse osmosis, hot whirlpool, uh, wintergreen rubbing alcohol, and about 14 pounds of Epsom salts. Okay. The sodium level of water is higher than the sodium level of your body. So the water leaches out of your skin. And I find it's a lot easier to rehydrate because it comes out from under the skin first. Mm -hmm. The muscle second and the internal organs third. Whereas when you're um, when you're sweating in a uh, let's say you're sweating in a uh, not a steam room but a uh, sauna, sauna, yeah, yeah. Uh, that hot air in your lungs is actually already starting to leach water out of your organs, so it makes it harder to rehydrate afterwards. Oh, I never heard of that. It makes sense. Yeah, no, no. Like I, I'm a big believer. Like you know, I, I'm really old school. I grew up on on calisthenics and everything like that, and mm -hmm. I, I grew up on certain things. And it's kind of like you know, I, like I used to say when I was young, I was stubborn. Mm -hmm. Okay, but it's kind of like you know, a, as you get older, you start to say there's science out there. Like you know, it's like diet and nutrition. When I was young and coming up, nobody knew. Like in other words, you had you had one protein supplement in a store, and it tasted mm -hmm. like garbage. Nowadays, <laughs> you got like. 500 it's almost rough to make a decision mm -hmm. you've got a supplement for everything and in other words nowadays instead of like you know people used to go to a gym like when i first went to a gym it's kind of funny i uh i'd gone to a gym i, I was in new jersey at the time mm -hmm. and i was you know, i was a skinny kid at 19 i won a title at 149 in burma okay and i wanted to gain weight so i started lifting weights and i got up to about 163 now I'm in the gym and, you know, people, you know, it's kind of like people talk. They find out you're a fighter. They find out you fair, fight bare knuckle with headbutts and suddenly like everybody's cool with you. Okay. Like even, <laughs> the, even the big bodybuilder and powerlifter guys. So you start asking advice. Who do you ask advice from? 
the biggest guy in the gym. <laughs> okay. And, and he happens to be a bodybuilder. So like, you know, here I am, like I, I'm 149 whopping pounds and I'm doing cable crossovers. And a guy named Johnny Parker, who at the time was the strength and conditioning coach for the Giants, walks by and we, and we had kind of gotten friendly and he looks at me and he goes, carving bone? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, dude, you need a chest before you start shaping it. <laughs> you know, so that, that's one of the great things. And, and he actually helped me, you know, mm -hmm. you discover the proper protocols for training and stuff like that. And like I always say to people, you know, with all the science we have in our, at our fingertips, uh, to neglect it is just insanity. Okay, mm -hmm. you can find out more about diet and nutrition. You can find out more about, you know, training protocols now than you, you mm -hmm. have the knowledge of the world at your fingertips now, which is, which is almost, like I always say that like from a, from a knowledge standpoint, we probably lived during the greatest time that anybody has ever been alive. Oh, without a doubt. 100%. Right. And, and you could, you could find out about other cult, you know, in, in other words, it's just an amazing, it's an amazing time. And to, to, and I know, you know, in other words, I know to neglect that, you know, would be mm -hmm. doing yourself a disservice. And I, I was actually, I tend to be one of the most stubborn guys in the world. Now, I'm a lifelong <laughs> vegan. Okay. And for years I had a fruit-based diet. It was probably why I was so skinny. <laughs> Like I ate massive quantities of fruit and it's kind of like, you know, like I had like zero body fat, you know, I never had to cut weight for anything. I was walking around looking like borderline skeletal all the time. I was lean and tight. It looked like if I had muscle, I could compete. Okay. okay. But like, you know, at 170 pounds was my heaviest at 30, at 37 years old mm -hmm. was the heaviest I'd gotten when I fought and it was my walking around weight. Okay, so it was kind of like I was always really lean. And then when I got the cancer, it damaged my pancreas. So my pancreas doesn't produce enough uh, insulin. So what happens is I had to switch my diet to a nut-based diet. Mm -hmm. And suddenly it was like, it was crazy. I would, go to the, I would go to the gym and I used to work out with my uh, youngest son. And we were joking around that all I had to do is look at the weights. I grow. Mm -hmm. I walk past the weights. I get stronger. I don't actually have to lift them. You know, it, it got crazy, but it was the added protein, the added fat. I used to eat like fat was the enemy. It was now, advertised like that for a while, wasn't it? I know, I know. And one of the things I always told people, the worst thing you can do is be stubborn. I can, I can go back to like the early days of grappling. I never saw a purpose for passing the guard. Mm -hmm. Okay, because I can ground and pound. Remember, I come from Burmese boxing. I can throw headbutts. Uh -huh. And I could go for leg locks. But if you learn to pass and you're good at passing, everything else becomes more effective. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm like one of these people that like, you know, in other words, like, you know, the gi not only gave me coming to the gi later in life, it not only gave me more opportunity to compete, but it actually gave me a new wrinkle to play with. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and honestly, it's, it's one of the, one of the things I really love about you know martial arts is it's a lifetime endeavor oh, it's that i it's that idea that if you have the right mindset you never feel like you're good you mm -hmm. never feel like you're good enough and then what happens is as you age like a lot of guys like you know i've had guys take their first kickboxing match at like 49 years old and be in the best shape of their freaking lives i was in the best shape of my life at 25 i'm never going back there okay and i know that because i was a competitive athlete so i was in the best shape of my life up until that broken neck and everything else is like a traumatized version of me okay but like I, like i tell people every injury 
Okay, now that I'm a fat, slow old man, okay, I've had to adapt my game completely. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's one of the things I really love about it. As your body changes, you have to change your game. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's like it's like when I tell people one of the greatest things you can do as a practitioner is start teaching. Mm-hmm. As you teach, you have to figure out how to do things that you kind of would never do. Never I've never been that guy who lays underneath you throwing straight arm bars mm-hmm. and triangles at you. But to teach, I had to get good at that. So the idea is it makes you much more of a complete practitioner. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in the short run, it can make you a worse fighter because you're doing things that you're not going to use. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and you find a happy balance. Like, you know, for the sake of argument, like if I'm doing a tournament, I just like, you know, I'll go coach, I'll show up and I'll compete. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I don't, I don't pay any attention to it, but if I take a pro match, I want to take a couple of weeks and get ready. And what I do prepared. during that couple of weeks is I go back to my basics. I hit my spots, start working again on the moves that, that are my A game. Everybody has an A game and then what else they do. So the idea is, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, it's a mixture and it's one of the great things about the arts is you get to play with them all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's why uh, I'm such a huge fan of MMA and as I assume you are as well. It's, oh, I love MMA. Oh, I'm pretty self-explanatory. But it's the fact that they have the ability to learn all these different tools and to adapt to any situation that comes their way through, you well, know, going from, you know, taking a stand up, taking it to the ground and well, all I'm that. Actually, I'm actually fortunate in that I, I, I actually did know a lot of the players back in the day mm-hmm. and I watched the sport evolve. And, you know, having participated in it, watching the sport evolve and everything like that, it's, it, it's one of those things that you say, the old days were very different. Okay, at first there were no gloves, borderline no rules. Guys were very uh, style specific. Mm-hmm. You were jujitsu and you couldn't throw a punch. You were you were a kickboxer and you had no idea what takedown defense was. Mm-hmm. Like in some some of those fights in the early days were great because they really showed the inherent weakness of that type of training. Mm-hmm. of that closed-minded attitude that like you know what if i'm a striker and i say nobody will ever take me to the ground mm-hmm. suddenly i'm staring at the ceiling or if i'm a grappler saying uh, i'll just take him down well what happens if he's a wrestler with a little bit of boxing experience you don't take him down mm-hmm. he's going to light you up on the feet you're going to be unconscious you're going to be staring at the ceiling again mm-hmm. so like i like, like i always tell people it's your weakness that comes back that haunts you i miss the early days because i actually feel the fights were more entertaining Mm-hmm. Okay, and sometimes to see the pressure point fighter go out there after swearing, I can't be choked out and get choked out mm-hmm. in 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Some of that stuff was great. I, I'm, I'm sorry because it became a real, it became a real bullshit meter for those guys that always said, oh, well, I would just. Mm-hmm. And then um, it's evolved into what, you know, what I really consider a complete sport. Some of these guys coming into the sport nowadays, mm-hmm. are, they're incredible athletes. Oh, for sure. Okay. You know, guys, former wrestlers coming in, D1 wrestlers, like, or Olympic wrestlers. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a level of athlete that you didn't see back then. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's kind of like, like everybody says, like, you know, well, this, that, the other thing. But it, it's one of those things. If, if, you're, if you're a D1 wrestler, let's say you're a national champion, mm-hmm. you're going to adapt to mixed martial arts much quicker than the average guy because you have the work ethic. Mm-hmm. You got that good at something. 
so you can precision model what you did in wrestling. Okay, you're gonna work that room hard. You're gonna do everything mm. you need to do because it, it, it's how you learned to train. They got that and, winner's mindset. Exactly. And it, it's it's one of those things that just builds upon itself and sport becomes so complete. And the thing that I'm, I'm really starting to love is, is two diametrically opposed things. Mm-hmm. One end, I'll call him Ryan. I'll, I'll call I'll call this one. Now, now I love Ryan Hall. Mm-hmm. The guy's got great leg locks. Oh, Ryan Hall is so fun to watch. And he used to back in the day. He was famous for weird triangles, like inverted triangles. He hit them from all over the place. Mm-hmm. Then he got into leg locks before the show. But watching his stand up, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of like what. what what are saw- you doing? But it's effective for him because it gets him to your legs. Mm-hmm. He throws those crazy, crazy kicks. He's on your legs spinning, and he submits you. Spinning side kicks, spinning body kicks. Right. And now, now people will, will tell you that's not stand-up, but it's the perfect stand-up for him because it gets him where he wants to be. Mm-hmm. If he's going to stand up with somebody who's a world-class striker, he's, he, it's crazy. But those crazy kicks get him in on people and get people to the floor. That and, and the guys that really fuse the ranges. The guys that go from a right, like if you watch Fedor from a Sambo background, mm-hmm. one of the best moves he had early in his career was that big over right hand right into a hip toss. Mm-hmm. I loved when he used that because of the way he fused the ranges and then all of a sudden he started to fall in love with his power. Mm-hmm. And he, he would, if he missed the right hand, he'd just load up on it again. <laughs> so it, it's kind of like, you know, it, it's those, those two aspects of how the sport has grown. Guys are getting stand up. If they're a grappler, they're getting stand up that's almost specific to what they to want to do. Grappling style, mm-hmm. Where guys are coming up, and, and in other words, they almost don't look at it as wrestling and jujitsu and striking. They look at it as a single entity. Yeah, it's all MMA. And that's where I think MMA is really heading, where guys are no longer going to call themselves a jujitsu fighter. Do you no think, longer call themselves a striker. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's going to affect at all, like the type of fights we see, like with creativity? Because if they're all training in, like, just for the basis of MMA and aren't well, like boxing specific, jujitsu, do you think well, you'll always have between you and I, you'll always have a lot of creativity because you know some guys will just be fantastic athletes. Mm-hmm. You're right. Okay. Or, or, or take a guy like Israel Adesanya. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh boy. Yeah, but what I'm saying, he move. He's got a movement pattern. He'll always do exciting things. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's just so fast. Okay, you're always going to have guys like um, Anderson Silver, who are great cra- counter strikers. Mm-hmm. Counter strikers have a tendency, if you get aggressive with them, to be able to do really exciting things because you get overextended. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Conor McGregor is your classic counterfighter. Mm-hmm. Conor McGregor back, Jose Aldo. Right. Waits for you to overextend. You know, you know, he's got his weight on his back leg. He's leaning all the way back and he just explodes forward. And, and you did half the work for his knockout. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like, you know, it, it, it's, you'll always have those guys that are exciting. And you'll always have those guys that, like I, I used to see it in a gym. I would have a guy that did Taekwondo. Mm-hmm. He would come in and he would say, oh, I want, I want a kickbox. And he would have a real struggle and he would get frustrated because he's, he's working in, in like a boxing ring with kickboxers, mm-hmm. getting punched in the face, getting kicked in the legs, getting roughed up. He pays his dues and suddenly like after a year and a half, 
he's thrown away all those Taekwondo techniques. Mm-hmm. Okay, now he's just kickboxing. Now after a year and a half, he's in there, and all of a sudden you see him after a stiff, stiff jab, throw a spinning back kick. Okay, because now that he's got a new platform that works for comp- for, for for kickboxing, mm-hmm. he's able to bring his previous training back to back to the forefront. He's able to recognize appropriate times to do it or like his reflexes kick in, his instincts. Exactly. And it, it's kind of like you'll, you'll always have fighters like that that came from that unorthodox background. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who, who are able to, to bring something unique mm-hmm. to the table because basically, you know, it, it, it's kind of like, you know, if you're a wrestler and you, you use jujitsu, mm-hmm. Okay, you tend to go through this. Uh, this pro- I, I had a guy years ago that it was kind of funny. He was a great wrestling coach. He, as a, as a fighter, it was kind of weird. Okay, because he was actually a decent boxer. Mm-hmm. He was a great wrestler. And I think he was. He was at the time. He was like a blue belt in jiu-jitsu, which really isn't a high belt, but he was a mid-level blue belt. So he he was fairly good on the on the ground, but mostly guard. And he was a big guy. Mm-hmm. And what was funny is, he, I think he was. One in four as a fighter in mixed martial arts. He comes to the gym. Six weeks later, he takes a fight. Now, when he first came in, he would fight. He would box with his left hand forward. He would wrestle with his his left hand forward. Mm -hmm. And then when he got you to the ground, he had gone to a BJJ school that was mostly key work. And they mostly trained guard. So if he was inside or mount, he'd let you roll him to guard because that's where he knew all the submissions from. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of funny. I'll never forget working with him and I'm on top of him. Or no, he's on top of me. And he basically lets me just push him over to guard. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him and I said, do you want me on top of you? No, it kind of sucks. Then why? Because it's the only place I know how to fight. And I looked at him and I go, you're a fucking wrestler. <laughs> what do wrestlers do? Huh? They mug people. <laughs> they make people miserable. You know that Kimura that you do from the guard? Mm-hmm. You can do that when you're wrestling with somebody too. And it's so funny. All I did with him was switch his boxing stance to right hand forward. Okay. Okay, so now he could shoot his takedowns right off a punch. Mm-hmm. As opposed to feeling like he had to switch leads. Okay. And it was so funny. He went on a he went on a tear. I think he won four straight fights. And I'll never forget somebody saying, Man, you did a great job with him. And I said, I just did two things. I told him to fight with his right hand forward. Mm-hmm. And to remember he's a wrestler. That's basically it. Mm-hmm. He already had the tools. So so sometimes guys, you know, in other words, they forget that fighting becomes a unified thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's not wrestling. In jujitsu, it's wrestling jitsu. Okay, I, I don't know how to say it, but when you get that, like you see a lot of these high level guys, like you know, take take a look at Gordon Ryan. Gordon oh, yeah, Ryan is no slouch with his wrestling. No. Like, don't sleep on that guy's wrestling between you and I. If I was rolling with him, he'd take me down at will. He's got good wrestling. Plus, he's a free, he's an athlete. He's a beast, and, the, and that's why he's and, the baddest jujitsu player right now. Yeah, listen, I, I, I got to get I got to give it to him. In other words, and the thing I love about him is he's excited. Mm-hmm. You know, he's fun to watch. OK, and that's to, to me, that's a big thing, because like between you and I, like I always said, I hate decisions. 
Mm-hmm. I hate to win by decision. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but to me, it always felt like uh, you're kissing your sister. Okay. <laughs> and what, I mean, what I mean by that is it's a girl, mm-hmm. but it's your sister. Okay. You know, <laughs> it, 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 you know like, by, by the way, if you hadn't noticed, like, you know, I, I grew up in a Bronx and I, you know, stuff comes out of my mouth without me thinking. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I swear to God, I think half my students come in basically to hear what's going to come out my mouth next. Mm-hmm. You know, because I like I've got no filter. <laughs> yeah. Now, besides Gordon Ryan, who else would you say uh, is on top of their game in terms of BJJ? Uh, Andrew Gaval, Galval. Uh, a lot of guys. Like I love Greg Jones. Lashley, I can't say his name. Giles. If you haven't noticed, I'm a big one on guys that integrate leg locking into their game. Mm-hmm. Orlando Sanchez, I, I like him, but like because I, I'm actually a fan of the bully style because I'm a bully. <laughs> like, you know, in other words, basically my, my, my style is you know, I actually have a guard, but I would prefer not to be there. Mm-hmm. Okay, I always say, I always say rule number one at school is don't let the fat old guy on top. Okay, because <laughs> once I get on top, I'm gonna use every ounce of fatness to make you suffer. Mm-hmm. You're gonna sit on them. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Why not cook them a little bit? And like, I gotta be honest with you. You know, it, it's part of fighting. You make your guys suffer. Mm-hmm. Okay, you you cook them a little bit, and like, you know, it's like anybody will tell you when you're tired. You know, you may be an animal when you're fresh. You get tired. You kind of puss out a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care how tough you are. You're not as tough when you're tired. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The goal is to make sure you don't get tired. That's the thing. You know, it was conditioning really has to be part of the process. Mm-hmm. You know, I and, and it's one of the things that's always, you know, amazed me <coughs> that so many guys will go in there half-assed. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, the idea that, you know, they don't pay attention to strength and conditioning. Like, you know, I can't understand not pay, paying attention to, to diet if you're a professional. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because be, between you and I, how do I, how do I say this as a professional finder? You know, e- even if you look at it as a career. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I always say there's two types of fighters. There's athletes who fight. Mm-hmm. And they tend to look at it as a career. And then there's guys who are just fighters. You know, like Nate Diaz. He's going to fight you in a cage, the parking lot, the hotel lobby, the hotel elevator. Nick Diaz and Nate Diaz are fighters. Okay. George St. Pierre was an athlete who fought. Mm -hmm. And I'm not minimizing anything by that, but it's kind of like if you're going to maximize your your window of opportunity, It's about winning because a lot of times, unless you're Conor McGregor and somehow people just keep listening to your nonsense, okay, (laughs) it's kind of like, you know, you're going to make more money by retaining the title. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, you know, like like I said, I prefer exciting fights, but, you know, if you're going to maximize your career, you should be in the best shape you can be. Mm -hmm. You know, take a look at uh, Francis Nagano versus Cyril Gane. I I watched that fantastic fight. Yeah, and, and, and I know Francis because I, we, we trained at the same gym back in Vegas. And it's kind of like he, conditioning won that fight for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not only conditioning, able- but his 
his uh, change up and using that Brazilian jiu-jitsu and wrestling. Well, he also he also fought really smart because he hurt his mm-hmm. knee before the fight. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so so it, it's kind of like if your movement is, but also Francis has an advantage that a lot of fighters don't have. Oh, like I worked a little bit with Ray Mercer for K1, and mm-hmm. Ray Mercer had the same advantage. He hit you, mm-hmm. and basically what went through your head was, holy fuck, what was that? <laughs> okay, Francis Nagano has that fight changing. Like he hits you on the shoulder, and you're going like, I can't let him hit me in the head. Mm-hmm. Uh, just real quick, I wondered, um, have you seen the new Jackass by chance? That's what I thought. No. Okay, so there's a um, – uh, a sketch, I guess, that it features Francis. Um, okay. They're doing a cup test on a guy and they're allowing <laughs> Francis to punch him in the cup as hard as he can. And <laughs> um, they look up on Google how hard his punch actually is. And it, it, they, I think they um, compared it to like this, like a truck almost uh, as hard as a, like a car. Well, I'll be honest with you. Uh, do we cope with- Cooper is a striking coach back in Vegas. And, and mm-hmm. sometimes I used to watch, you know, Francis hit the pads with Dewey. And it's kind of like, you know, he would hit, he would be going easier, easy, and hitting the pads harder than guys going their hardest way. Mm-hmm. You know, he reaches out, he was when he reached out and tapped those pads, and you could see Dewey was like, you know. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. He's just got so much power, it's crazy. Yeah, and honestly, I've always said there's there's certain tools that really they can sh- they can change the dynamic of a fight in so many ways. When when you look at you know let's say Francis's power, or uh, who's the guy he fights uh, the European kid? I, I'm not a big fan, but he's so fast. Uh, oh, what uh, weight class? Do you know, like Welter. Is he the? You know. Th- you're thinking of Patty the Batty? No, I'm talking he doesn't okay. fight in the UFC. He fights in uh, Bellator. Page. Oh, my, yeah, Michael Venom Page. Okay, he is so fast he that is, there's things you can't prepare for. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is I can watch all the videotape I want and think I'm ready. I can bring in sparring partners who are known for being fast. But there's guys that are just that level of they're just a level above. So then all of a sudden you're in there and your game plan goes to crap mm-hmm. because it's like, whoa, I knew he was fast. Mm-hmm. Or like with Francis, I knew he hit hard. Okay, but that was, that's kind of like a whole different level of hard. Mm-hmm. Similar to the discussion we were talking about with uh, just having the cardio endurance. Like there's, right. some, there's some fighters like... Uh, the Diaz is in their prime, Max Holloway, Kamaru Usman, who just have these gas tanks to go they all go five for, rounds. Like, like the, the Diaz brothers, you know, they're vegan ultra marathon runners. Mm. Okay. You know, how are you going to get them tired? I had a woman in New York who was 48 years old and fighting. Okay. And she's a former ultra marathon runner. She never got tired. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like, I'll be honest with you, I always joke around. She was probably the least talented athlete I ever had. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. But her fighting style was basically she would keep her hands up, walk you down, and you would wear yourself out punching her. And then when you got tired, she would win the fight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, like I, I always say Jody's fighting style is I'll wear you out with my face. 
And it was kind of like, I'll never forget, she had a fight where she, uh, we were, of, of course, you know, she, she, at this point, I think she's 49 years old. We were brought in to be the sacrificial lamb. Okay. And I guess a girl gave an interview before the fight that she was going to uh, knock grandma out. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. So, you know, there was some back and forth nonsense and stuff like that. So it, we, it was kind of like, what was funny is Jody goes out, you know, closes on her real fast and they exchange punches and you can see the look on the girl's face. It's like, screw this nonsense. She goes right to the takedown, gets mounted and starts like grounding and pounding Jody. Okay, now Jody's defending herself and everything like this, holding her down, working her escapes. But the girl's doing a real good job controlling position every once in a while, sitting up and throwing bombs. And, and to the point where I actually have the towel in my hand. You know, I'm like, you know, if this goes on much, and all of a sudden Jody will do something right. Jody's talking to the ref saying, I'm fine, sticking her thumbs up so everybody knows she's fine, joking around, okay. She comes back to the corner. I take her mouthpiece out. And I got a thing I do every time somebody comes back to the corner. Okay. Take their mouthpiece out and give them a hit of water. What do you feel like? Okay. Because it's very important for me to gauge what you're feeling. I need to know if you're exhausted. Now I need to work on, oh, he's exhausted too. Look over there. He can barely, he can barely sit up straight. Okay. So in other words, a lot of times what you tell, he's too fast. Okay. You got to circle around to his right. So he can't use his speed. You got to get offset. You know, so in other words, what you're feeling sometimes is going to tell me the advice I need to give you. Okay. So I give her a hit of water. I ask her what she's feeling. She starts giggling maniacally. Okay. I, the weirdest giggle you've ever, you've ever seen. And she goes, she hits like a girl. <laughs> she's tired. She's mine now. Okay. Now she comes out in the second round. Hits her with a right cross, pins her against the cage, and puts her in a power guillotine. Girl goes limp. Ref doesn't notice she's out. Jody lets girl go with the girl. The girl goes down. All of a sudden, Jody, and this isn't Jody, Jody leaps in the air and throws her right hand as she falls to the ground, nailing her again. Now the ref pulls her off. Okay. And I said to Jody, you have to fight. I go, Jody, what the fuck was that? I thought she was playing possum. I thought she was faking it because she wanted me to let go of the guillotine. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, and, and she was, this woman was a character, you know, her, her, her fighting nickname was Rain Man, okay, oh it was kind God. of like, if, if, if you met her 10 years ago, she could tell you the day, she could tell you the weather, and she could tell you who else was in the room, like really weird stuff with her memory, you know, it got to the point where if I hadn't seen somebody for months, I'd like, you know, hey, Jody, when was the last time we saw Rob? She'd tell me, she'd tell me the day, the day of the week, and the weather. Oh, my God. And it got to the point, I used to, I used to check. I used to go on a computer and check. But she was always right. That's such a weird thing to memorize. No, but she doesn't really memorize it. It's just, just there. It's just the first time you know, she consumes it. She's like, I got it. I got it for life. Well, you know, it was so funny because like, you know, she would talk to me and she, she'd be training at home. She was one of these people I would give her drills to do at home. because she was, she was very dedicated. Mm -hmm. I threw 1,364 punches. Wait, wait, wait a second. You can count punching? Yeah, can't you? <laughs> she, could, she could spar and tell you how many punches she threw while she was sparring. That's insane. Yeah, it was weird stuff. Okay, but to me, fascinating. 
That's very mm-hmm. fascinating. It was like I actually met a kid in uh, Vegas. I love the kid, sweetest kid in the world. He's uh, he's on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it was kind of like you know. Have you ever noticed? Like I actually have a personal philosophy that people with like Asperger syndrome mm-hmm. may be the next evolution of mankind. And I know this is going to sound weird. <laughs> and it's not like a Tim Foyle hat thing. Okay, <laughs> Alex but Jones it, style. It's, it, it's one of those things. Specialization. This kid was so good at jujitsu. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, a lot of people with Asperger's syndrome tend to be highly functional in three or four different things, but really bad at other things, especially interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. But look at the way the world is headed. Yeah. Okay. We're cross country. We're talking on a video screen. Mm-hmm. My son is upstairs playing video games with people he's never met. Okay, so, you know, we've become a society where maybe this specialization is the next evolution of mankind. It's just like a a pet theory, and I'm not saying it's true. It's just something that actually fascinates me, how how somebody who struggles so much with something as simple as talking to you Mm -hmm. can be fantastic at something, like unbelievably good. Mm -hmm. I I, honestly, I think that's the coolest thing in the world. I don't know why. No, it makes sense to me. I I think, uh, I mean... My wife used to work with uh, kids with like autism and stuff. Yeah. But I think basically just the way that their brains are wired is like certain areas may be firing better than others. So, for example, I don't know the the areas of the brain, but maybe the yeah. jiu-jitsu area for that kid was like through the roof. But maybe like social skills was, mm. you know, well, the but, give but, and know, take. The, but the only, it was kind of funny. The only place he actually had reasonable social skills was in jiu-jitsu. Because <laughs> I was talking to his dad. His dad said he had met no friends at school. But everybody in the jiu-jitsu world in Las Vegas loved this kid. Okay, so it, it, it's kind of, it, it, it's so funny. how not, not only can something like that, it can empower people too. Mm-hmm. Like I, I always tell people, you know, it, it's kind of like a good coach. Okay, this is one of the things that's honestly like, you know, yeah, you, you can come to me. And listen, the reason you come to me is because I can teach you to fight. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, like you know, I, I you know, I'm not a believer in quote unquote uh, martial arts uh, and and all the traditions. I come from a Burmese background, which is, doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's like I'm not into all this bowing. Like you know, when somebody calls me professor, I cringe. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you, you know, you know, that's not me. I'm yeah. Okay. Don't call me sir because it makes me feel even older than I am. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it, it's kind of like like I tell people it's it's I don't I don't believe in that per se. In other words, like mm-hmm. you know, I used to have guys like I had a guy in New Jersey who was a gynecologist who delivered a lot of babies. Okay, he always came to class late, and I've always been one of those guys. If class starts at seven, you show up at eight just for the rolling, as long as it's like a valid reason. Mm-hmm. Like my daughter had a play, I got stuck at work. Hey, chill. Don't worry about it. I'd rather see you get half an hour of training, an hour of training. In. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, yeah, I don't care about crap like that. He didn't need to learn discipline from me. He, he went through medical school and built a practice. I got to figure he's pretty disciplined. He's mm-hmm. got, he's got, he's got his life pretty much in order. Okay. It's so, like, you know, he always used to come in like an hour late and say, I'm sorry. I'm late. Like, what was I going to do? Tell him to put the baby back in. <laughs> you know, he, like, he, kind of, he can't come to class because somebody was giving birth. Yeah. This is a guy who actually did a grappler's quest and, and like it blew my mind. He weighs in at nine o'clock because he was cutting weight, gets a call from the hospital. 
goes back. Now he's competing around one o'clock, goes back, delivers two friggin' babies, and it comes back and competes and wins. That's great. Did he win? Yeah, he won. That's That's crazy. Oh my God. That's impressive. That dedication for that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and like you know, to be able to change that focus, and like like he like he said to me, I go, dude, how the fuck did you do that? And he goes, well, delivering a baby is nothing for me. He said it's like you going to work and teaching class afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it's what he does. And what I always used to love is guys thinking he had the greatest job in the world. Okay, oh, you're a gynecologist. Blah, 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 blah. And he goes, <laughs> do you realize people aren't coming to me? when that area is at its best <laughs> literally though like yeah. they've probably seen the worst of the worst yeah, yeah. To, to me it's not a job i want yeah you know no. it, that's it, like it's bottom kind of, rung it, it's <laughs> kind of like if you, if you work at mcdonald's i'm pretty sure you don't want to eat mcdonald's all day yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah we, can <laughs> tell, we used to work so, at a pizza place so we get it <laughs> yeah it, it, you know it, it's one of those things i always get a kick out of how the grass is always greener Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's like, you know, it, it, it's people, people look at you and, and, and let's say me, okay, you know, everybody sees the tip of the iceberg, mm-hmm. okay, like, you know, I, I, I'm fortunate, I also, I also have my own business and, I, and I'm doing really well with it and, and mm-hmm. I've got, I've got the martial arts and it's like people only see the result, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they don't see what, what went into it, okay, nobody, nobody understands the idea of coming back from a, from a broken neck. Nobody understands what it took to, to, to come back from cancer and how miserable I was coming back and how hard that was. Nobody understands that, okay, okay, like I'm competing now. I need knee, knee, knee reconstruction and shoulder replacement. And I'm waiting until I'm done competing because if I get it, I'm done competing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, as long as I can compete with the problem, I might as well keep going. Right. Oh, of course, if it's, a, if okay. it's a thing you love more than anything, do it as long as you can. Right. And it's, it's so funny. Like everybody asks me like, you know, why? Because I can. I love it. You know, when I walk out, like, and, and, and like, in other words, it's kind of like, it's very different when you're older. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, 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 you know, I don't mean to say that like, you know, I, you know, because I'm older, I have more knowledge. Okay. It's just that Sometimes age, and I don't want to say age, but time passing can give you perspective. The things that happen in your life, like, you know, when, when I was told, you know, I, I'd be dead in six months, you know, I sat there in the car and I'm thinking to myself, fuck, okay, now I've had the nice car, the nice house, you know, all the bullshit trappings that everybody pays attention to, mm-hmm. okay? And it's kind of like, all of a sudden I realized, all I really have is my family, Mm-hmm. my memories and the lives I impact such as my students mm-hmm. okay so when I got my health back I really like you know I like to think you know I was a real asshole when I was a kid mm-hmm. you know I was trouble like I, I don't I dealt drugs like I'm coming back and forth from Burma what do you think I'm bringing with me every drug I can okay <laughs> so it, it's kind of like yeah I, I was a scumbag but you know was I evolved into a better person in my uh late 20s early 30s mm-hmm. okay and I'd like to think I became a good person in my 40s but but this experience and not saying that I would want to go through it okay but it made me a much better more complete person mm-hmm. okay because you know I realized what's important and it's kind of like when I was in Vegas I was teaching for free Mm-hmm. Okay, because I didn't need the money from the school. I had a big RV garage that turned into a school. And it just worked out perfect for me. And I really loved doing it. Mm-hmm. 
So that was, a, that was a large part of the comeback. But for me, with competing, it used to be about all the wrong things. Like I always tell guys when they're getting ready for a fight when we're backstage, enjoy it. Mm-hmm. You, don't know, you don't know if you're going to do this again. You could start running tomorrow and blow your ACL out and you're never the same. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this this may be a limited window. Suck up every minute of it. And it's so funny because I, uh, when I was younger, you know, I, I went through all the typical shit. I want to be the baddest man on the planet. I want to stop a butthole in your head. I'm King Kong on steroids. Yeah, you know, all the stupid things that people that have a fighting mentality have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, like you're not going to beat me if you bring a gun, a knife, and a baseball bat to the cage. Okay, you know, stupid shit like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, then now it's like the thing I love most is when I walk out. Like I don't even warm up before I compete. I just walk out there. <laughs> okay, it's that moment because I'm not going to warm up in a fight. Right. Okay, and the reason I still train as hard as I do today is because I might get into a fight in the parking lot tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But the idea is, and that's always been my primary goal is fighting self-defense. Mm-hmm. I train with weapons. I, I, I'm a, I, I've done a lot of combat handgunning. I've gone for sniper training. So like, I'm one of these people that I'm a nut about anything to do with like fighting oriented stuff. Mm-hmm. I like to hear that. Yeah. That but it, yeah. It, it, it's like, I, I tell people all the time. Now it's that moment where I look at you, you and I are looking at each other. The ref looks at you and says, you ready? He looks at me and says, you ready? We both say, yeah, we shake hands and then we go, we grab you. That moment for me is like an addiction. Just that moment of being out there. And I'll never forget the first time I did Submission Underground. Uh, that's Chow Sonnen's show up in Portland. Mm-hmm. I was about to ask, I saw that photo on your website. I was like, hmm. Yeah, yeah, he, he brought me up there to do it. And I, originally I was supposed to do a match at 205. Okay. And the person I was, uh, I was supposed to go with pulled out. So they asked me if I would do do a super heavyweight. So I went against a guy who was like 265 and 6'6". Oh, wow. And it's kind of funny because I, I, I went up there and I'll never forget getting in that cage. You know, it, 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 the ring entrance actually was, was interesting because it went viral the next day because I was wearing snowman pajamas. I, I had gone up to Portland from uh, Vegas mm-hmm. in December. Okay. And I hadn't really bought a lot of warm clothes. I just bought a, a leather jacket to wear on the plane <laughs> and around the city. And I bought stuff to hang out in a hotel with. So I had, I had warmed up and then I was starting to freeze. We were downstairs in the basement. It was at the mm-hmm. Roseland Theater. I love that place. I think that's the best place to compete because mm-hmm. half the crowd is up above you. Yeah. It's such a cool feeling there. It's one of my favorite venues to compete at. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny. I, I walk down and I'm wearing, uh, I'm wearing snowman pajamas. <laughs> And a leather jacket. I walk down to the cage and it's kind of like the, the announcer goes, where's the fighter? <laughs> and then uh, he sees me pull the mouthpiece out of my jacket pocket, stick it in my mouth, take a hit of water, start taking my jacket off. And he goes, oh, I thought that was the fighter's father. <laughs> and like, you know, I get in the cage and I'll never forget just looking around the room. I, it was just, I'm like thinking to myself, it's so cool. They brought me up here to do this mm-hmm. at 54 years old. You know, in other words, you know, one of the big, it's like one of the biggest shows in grappling. And it just, it just, it, and that, that's not me saying that I'm good or anything. It was just such a cool feeling that. A that, great experience. Yes. And even, it was kind of funny. It went, that night, it went from being a terrible experience because I, I blew my shoulder out. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. And what happened is I had a hard time getting it back in. I finally got it in. But it was so funny because I was so depressed because I thought I was done. I thought like, you know, the, oh, the show was fucked. Okay. And, you know, I, I damaged one more tendon, but it, 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 I'm still able to use it. But what was funny is I went upstairs to leave. And I had to take pictures with people. It took me about an hour to get out of there. So the people told me I was their inspiration. They couldn't believe I was doing it at my age. In other words, if I can compete, they should be able to try. You know, it was such a really cool experience. People coming up and taking pictures with me, wanting to talk to me. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, you know, it went from like, I was at a low point downstairs and I walked out of that building feeling like a million bucks. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it, it's really, it's really cool. And the other thing I got to do, I got to give Chelsea a plug. Okay, because everybody's familiar with his like persona. Mm-hmm. One of the nicest guys in the world. You know, when you're interacting with him, that's all for you know publicity, the media, and everything mm-hmm. like that. He's just a great guy. He really is. He's just very smart and clever with this shit talk. <laughs> well, and honestly, between you and I, he's one of the few shit talkers I like. Oh, like, you know, okay. come, come on, there's shit, you know, in other words, I remember I'm old school. I'm I'm old school. I go back to the days of Randy Couture versus uh, Chuck Liddell. They asked Randy, toughest fight of my life, but I'm going to take him down and grab him out. Okay. They asked Chuck, toughest fight of my life, but I'm going to knock him out. Okay. That's trash talk to me. Okay. Conor McGregor telling guys to, to have their wives wear red panties and shit, insulting your whole country, your religion. Ah, that's just a bit much for me. Yeah, Whereas so Chow, Chow's actually trash. funny because you can tell it's tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. Like, have you ever seen that guy? Uh, he's got a caricature, and he's almost become a human being with it. Renato oh, because, oh, who? Um, that's actually not his name, but it's a character that he did. Renato Laranja, the twenty-six-time world BJJ champion. He takes all the stereotypes of the BJJ guy mm-hmm. and kind of like goes around embodying that. Okay, like I'm the greatest. Mm-hmm. Jiu-jitsu is the, yeah. In other words, all the things that like you know people people you know ca- like in other words like ha- how every group has characterizations. Uh-huh. He's taking all the ones that were laying around Brazilian jiu-jitsu that like everybody's the best and undefeated, and he basically portrays it as a as a shit. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like I love people that like you know if you want to if you want to shit talk or kind of be a little bit douchey, do it with a sense of humor. I get it. Kind of be clever with it. Right, right. Whereas, like, you know, how do I say this? Like, you know, I, I get a kick out of the uproar about Joe Rogan. Yeah. Okay. Because, come on, he's a comedian. Oh, he yeah. says crazy <laughs> crap all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's kind of like, you know, it, it's like when people got on Richard Pryor for saying bad shit. Is Richard Pryor says bad shit. That's what he does. Well, it's like, um, if it's something Joe Rogan actually says, if you're coming from a place of comedy and what you're saying is meant to be funny and nothing more, that's what comedy is. That's you're just trying to be funny and that's it. You're not trying to offend anyone. And, and it's per, to me, it is also personal taste. In other words, there are crossing the line. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, but come on, you know, Joe Rogan has flat earth people. on. Yeah. Okay. And, 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 and listen, you know, I got, I got to be honest with you. Okay, flat earth, 
I don't know if any of you guys are flat earth believers, but I'm kind of, (laughs) when you argue with me that the world is flat, I'm kind of thinking, yeah, there's no sense in arguing. (laughs) Okay. Reason is not going to work here. Okay. Changing your mind. (laughs) Exactly. So it's kind of like, you know, come on, he's Joe Rogan. He's going to say stupid shit. He's going to go over the line. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, if you're gonna get butt hurt about that, you know, I think it's all people that normally don't listen to Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. And oh, so I, I think a lot like obviously I don't have a real statistic, but for me it feels like 90% of the people who criticize Joe Rogan have never listened to an episode of Joe Rogan. Well, it's kind of like I always got a kick out of uh, Donald Trump. Now I don't I don't know where you uh lie on the political spectrum, but from the day he started to run for office. All he did was say shit that should have ended his career. And it's because it brought okay. up publicity. So why even get upset about it? He says stupid shit. Like if I worked at the White House, the first thing I would have tried to do was break his cell phone. So he couldn't get on Twitter. Yeah. Okay, okay. For, for, for you to get all bent out of shape because Trump said something stupid. Well, he's Trump. He says stupid shit. Yeah, like from the yeah. beginning to the end, like it was all the same you never shit. watched the Liberty Apprentice? Right. It's kind of like, you know, how, how do I phrase it? Like, you know, I, I'm not I'm not very political, but like for the sake of argument, Biden. Now, if Biden's surprising you in office, come on, the hallmark of Biden's career was kind of doing nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, he really never accomplished anything while he was in office. So why, you know, in other words, I, I think he was just the anti-Trump. OK, so if you're upset about what he's doing, come on. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind not of, like he it's not like he lied he basically said i'm gonna do nothing i'm just not gonna be trump <laughs> that was his whole platform i'm not trump <laughs> yeah it was pretty much that <laughs> the most recent uh election was choosing which piece of shit you wanted more well i i actually view it a little bit differently okay it's mm-hmm. kind of like you had certain people of hardcore trump people and i gotta be honest with you some of them you know no matter what he says they think it's right <laughs> yeah man that's kind of, that's when people get that way, it gets kind of scary when they automatically parrot somebody. Yeah. But, oh, uh, yeah, without a doubt, like fear. Most of the people that voted did not wake up. Okay, I cannot picture anybody waking up, getting up, shaving, showering, getting dressed, and driving down to the voting booth to vote for Biden. Okay, I think almost everybody that voted for Biden got up and followed that process saying to themselves, I'm voting against Trump. It's not like, you know, a lot of people that voted for Obama voted for Obama. They were <laughs> excited. They were, they were animated, whether you agreed with his policies or not, they woke up in the morning wanting Obama yeah. to be president because of, of, of what he was saying. He was dynamic. He, you know, he had a package, whether he brought it to fruition or not. In other words, people were excited. Okay, we're stuff like that. And I just realized we're talking about mixed martial arts. We're not talking politics. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, <you're laughs> no okay. it's totally fine. This podcast goes all over the place all the time. Okay, I, like, I'm the worst one with that. Like, you know, one of my, like, one of my students said, my, my, my greatest strength is my greatest weak, weakness. I, I'll show you anything. Mm. But I'm kind of like... A ferret with ADHD on speed. Mm. I am all <laughs> over the place. ADHD on speed. That's hilarious. That's why, yeah, you, that's like, why yeah. you're doing all these combat sports. Got to keep busy. 
I, 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 between you and I, it's like, you know, I, I was talking to somebody about this, like, you know, somebody, somebody asked me, you know, it, it's compulsiveness with me. Okay. Like my diet is compulsion. My, my, you know, it, it's like, if I don't train, I start to go mental. Oh, I get that. I mean, yeah, like that one, that one rest day, all I'm thinking about is working out the next day. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's kind of no class tonight. Open that. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> Hey, don't laugh. The hardest thing for me, I, I, you know, I moved out to uh, Lexington, Virginia mm-hmm. in, uh, what was it, July, early July. Mm-hmm. And the hardest thing for me is the closest thing out here jujitsu-wise was an hour and 20 minutes away. Oh, wow. So I was having, the, with my work schedule, that was really tough. I was teaching and training at a place that was an hour and 20 minutes away, and that was mm-hmm. killing me. So I ended up opening something in Lexington. And it, it's kind of like, you know, it's, you know, it's one of those things that like, you know, without being able to train, I would just have a meltdown. You know, I, I'd be institutionalized. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't know what to do with yourself. Exactly. You know, it becomes part of who you are. And like between you and I, like I always, I always said, you know, you know, I hear people, you know, and I'm one of those people, like, I don't care what your thing is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Rock climbing. Now you're not getting me to climb a cliff. <laughs> That's scary shit. Okay, it's but I've had people tough. I've had people that climb cliffs tell me, you ain't getting me in a cage. That's scary shit. Okay, <laughs> so, so so remember, everybody's got their thing. And I'm not like I don't care if you like collecting stamps. If that's your freaking thing, that's your thing. Mm-hmm. It makes you happy. Okay, so it, it, it's kind of like, you know, we all have that space. And like I like I always heard surfers talk about that, that endless quest for the perfect wave. Okay, now I love teaching, I love training, I love competing. But when I'm actually just rolling and going live, the world is perfect. Mm-hmm. Okay, when I when I when I'm gloved up and I'm sparring, the world is perfect. There's nothing else. Okay, that problem at work is gone. Mm-hmm. The imagined slight by your wife is gone. <laughs> okay you know all that shit that goes through your head every day that you're bent about it's not there okay the world is as it should be and i'm doing exactly what i should be doing and and that's what it is it's those momentary addictions and it's kind of like you know like, like somebody somebody asked me one time why why i feel i was successful at, at, at fighting you know and, and like you know first of all i always tell people fighting uh, we're, we're combat sports. You know, some people come to it for different reasons. Some people come mm-hmm. to it just because they want to fight. And I always mm-hmm. tell people you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Mm-hmm. Okay. And like, I've had a lot of guys come in and they want to fight. As soon as you get them a fight, they disappear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. In other words, a lot of people think they want to fight, mm-hmm. but they really don't want to get punched in the face. I get that. You know, it takes a different mindset, but like I, I always tell people it's, if you take the lessons you apply, and I don't care whether it's jujitsu, kickboxing, wrestling, boxing, if you take the lessons you learn training, mm. hard work, discipline, you're in a solo sport, but you need a team because if you don't have good training partners, you ain't, you ain't going to do any good. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's kind of like, it's this cohesive thing. And then you take those lessons and apply them to the rest of your life. If you apply them to work, if you apply them to school, if you apply them to your relationships, you'll be so much more successful. 
And like, you know, for me, you know, you know, I, I don't know whether it's fortunate, but I have two things that are like, you know, in other words, my wife always jokes. If you don't want me to do something, ask me, are you really sure you want to do that? Well, I, I would prefer you not. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause if you tell me I can't do that, Makes you if you tell me I can't compete against the 25 year old, hold my beer. okay i'm doing okay if you tell me can't i have to okay and 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 part of that is stubbornness and compulsion and like those have become bad words in society but if you notice a lot of successful people stubborn impulsive you know i was gonna say i think it's it's I think it's only bad if it's like hurting yourself or others, like doing the stubborn, having being stubborn or being compulsive in like a negative way. But well, how I, you've I always, been doing it has seemed very beneficial and positive. I always say part of it's an addictive personality. Mm-hmm. I now, I've been that. addicted to drugs. I've been addicted to alcohol. I've been clean for thirty-seven years. Congratulations! Congratulations. Like I, I've actually, I've actually fought on a cocktail. Of heroin and speed. Oh, Did you okay. win? I was, I was, I was one of these idiots that I figured out covered both spectrums. Did you win? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I had a, I, I think I have a weird, weird chemistry because what happened is it seemed like no matter how much I drank or how much I did, it didn't affect me like it did other people. Mm-hmm. Like it was one of those people I could drink vodka and play basketball. And I'm not gonna like some people will tell you, oh, I got better. No, I didn't get better. But I didn't have a drastic fall off. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's almost like I, I used to say, if I get high or I drink and I go to bed and wake me up, I'm fucked up. Mm-hmm. But if I don't go to sleep, I can keep, just keep going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, was, it, was really, it was really weird. And then what happened is I, um, I come from a family where there was a lot of mental illness. And I got help for several, you know, I've been, dis- I've been, I've been diagnosed as different things throughout the course of years, including young. Okay. Because yeah, I got in a lot of trouble. Like it was very violent, had a few in and out of the court systems as a kid. And it was kind of like, you know, I was labeled with certain things. When I finally got the proper medication, it completely changed my life. Okay. So it, it allowed me to then use that addictive personality for non bad addictions. Right. Mm hmm. It's like, I, I honestly say, you know, my diet is basically, you know, I grew up vegan mm-hmm. for about three or four years. I ate meat and I just never got used to it. So I just stopped eating it again. Okay. Okay. It's, it's like none of the stuff I do was really, I woke up one day and I decided I should do that. It's just something that like teaching martial arts came from. I was fighting, I was training. I might as well start teaching. My grandfather died. I was trying to find a school. I couldn't find a school I wanted to go to. So I just started teaching. Okay. So it was kind of like everything was kind of almost like an outgrowth Mm -hmm. of what I was already doing. It just happened. Like for the sake of argument, I've gotten into intermittent fasting. I just eat massive quantities of food one time a day. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing this for about the last seven years. Oh, wow. Okay. And what's funny is... It's not like I ever, I ever really wanted to intermittent fast. Okay, I would eat, I would eat at lunchtime, I would eat at five o'clock, and I would eat after class. Mm-hmm. But I, I wouldn't feel right after eating. 
And it was like, I would eat at lunchtime and want to take a nap instead of work. Yeah. Okay. I'd eat at five and I wouldn't want to go train. So I just kind of like, yeah, let me see how I feel if I just eat after class. Mm-hmm. Been doing that ever since. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I'm not one of these guys like between you and I. You ask me, should I go vegan? Fuck no. Oh, I'm not planning on it, sir. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Between you and I, zombie apocalypse comes. I'll eat humans. Okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> this is not, this is not like, I like leather jacket and leather shoes. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is not big. Like, you know, I, I you know, I'm, I'm teaching my youngest son who moved out to Virginia. We got 85 acres. I, I'm teaching him not. Okay. I got no problem with you know, dead animals. Right. Mm-hmm. Not a big thing to me. Okay. I just don't need them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it, it's kind of like, I, like, like I always say, like, you know, it, it's not an ethical thing. I just feel better that way. And it's just something that developed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it probably started from your childhood of being raised to only eat uh, vegan. Well, I never, I never developed, you know, in other words, if you, you, know, you got to figure, you're, like, if you eat a lot of junk food as a little kid, you get adapted to it. You're probably going to have a palate that was developed to like McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, I never, it was always hard for me to eat meat. It was always weird. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how, it was always tough. It was always, it had a weird consistency. I don't like creamy foods. Mm-hmm. I ate, like, I ate a lot of fruit and vegetables as a kid. And it was kind of like, I never got used to creamy, like, I hated ice cream. Like, I was the only kid I knew that hated ice cream. The worst thing was playing, foot, was playing football and being a linebacker at 147 in high school. And my coach wanted me to gain weight. So he had me drinking these, these horrid protein shakes with ice cream. And for me, it was absolutely disgusting. Really? I just stopped doing it. I would prefer to play at 147. You know, and, and, and it, 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 it force fed ice cream. Well, it, like calories, a punishment. You know, but, but for me, it was. Mm-hmm. I did like, you know, in other words, I, I've never had butter. What? I think butter's disgusting. Like the consistency <laughs> of it. Like, you know, if I have to clean it off a knife, I'm like, Ugh. I mean, I don't like that either. I can give you the. Yeah, it's just, it's just like, I do not like the texture of eating creamy foods. Like, mm-hmm. I don't like sugar. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so it's not that like, you know, I'm sitting there saying, oh, oh yeah, yeah, you go vegan. It, it takes it. No, it's easy for me. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to eat that shit. Right. Okay. Like dried apricots is my idea of a treat. <laughs> they actually, I, I fuck with dried apricots. They taste good. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, it's kind of like, you know, I, I'm just, I, I'm just weird that way. But like, you know, be, being a vegan and doing it right is hard work hey, you sh- and it's friggin' expensive. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it is. To eat healthy, it's so expensive. It's like they're putting it against you. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Listen, you could go to McDonald's and buy something to eat for five duck bucks. You want you want fresh raspberries? It's going to cut cost you like eight bucks for a pint. Mm-hmm. It's disgusting. Yeah. And then and then you want to eat organic food? It's even worse. Oh yeah. Whenever I try to when I do my best to go grocery shopping and like get a good food, I look at the organic and like my heart's like you know what that you should. But then it's like, I can't afford can't, it, though. Can't I can't do keep it. doing it all the time, man. 
you know, I, between you and I, I'm not sure the organic is going to do you that much good simply because I think we're exposed to so much shit anyway. Yeah, yeah. that like that, it, that in itself is like, oh, one thing out of a hundred yeah. is taken down. You know, ju- ju- just on a day-to-day basis. And, and it's kind of like, I, I get a kick at it. Like, you know, you, we're worried about like eating organic food. Okay, people are dying of COVID. Okay, so it's kind of like, you know, you know, it's kind of like if you eat halfway decent, you'll live a better life. You'll have a better quality of life. You know, just make, make some that. better choices. You don't have to go nuts. Yeah. You don't have to go uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime. No, or, or even Ronnie Coleman in his prime. You don't have to do that. Dude, like I'm, I'm telling you, like, you know, I, I'll never forget. I did when I first moved to Vegas and I first started competing again. I went and did the Olympia. Okay. Now, now, for the first time in my life, I had broken 200 pounds. I was walking around at 205. And like, you know, in my mind, I was small. <laughs> I was strong. I was big. I was the man. So like, you know, I'm, I'm going out. I go to go to the bathroom before I compete. I walk by a woman. And she's got arms like twice the friggin' size of me. <laughs> like, you know, my arms were decent size. This woman's got arms twice the size of mine. And I'm going, man, I'm fucking pathetic. You know, I, I walked in this building feeling like a stud. I left feeling like a pussy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's just funny because it's kind of like, but that's one thing I, I'm not sure. And like, I don't want to get into what people take because, you know, that's, that's, that's their choice. But like, you know, they're no longer looking like human beings. Oh, yeah. There's some, like, like I mentioned Ronnie Coleman earlier, him and he's like his absolute prime and he's his biggest. Like, I can't remember the exact weight, but he looks, I mean, disgusting like just how he's like so muscular he's yeah. so huge it's well, incredible that is, he got that way but have you ever disgusting. seen that autobiography have you ever seen that documentary on him i have dude that guy for a bodybuilder i think he was the strongest bodybuilder i've ever seen oh yeah he was squatting like 800 something for i've reps. always been surprised when i see bodybuilders getting ready for a show sometimes and like i'm using more weight than they are mm-hmm you know so that's that's always like i was always i i was always remember i came from that age and culture where strong guys have huge muscles and then you see these strong men guys and those guys are freaking strong mm-hmm. oh, yeah they are that reminds me real quick about the strong men have you you've heard anything about what is his name thor I can't, thor bjornson versus yeah, eddie yeah. hall for those strong men when they're You've seen them from like when they were competing in strongmen to shaving down for this boxing dude. That guy's terrifying. I mean, I mean, obviously, I don't know how good his fighting ability is, but just based on like his dude, physique, dude. that's what's a scary. That, what's man. that guy? The guy that fought Hodger Grayson, uh, Pud something or another. Oh, I know uh, who you're talking about. I can't remember his name. Okay, no, no, no. Between you and I, Roger Gracie, one of the greatest grapplers in the world, mm-hmm. gets clipped with a horrible overhand right. Mm-hmm. Knocked out. Okay, it's it's kind of like, hey, dude, you're that big. You're gonna hit fucking hard. <laughs> you know, yeah, you just you're swinging. He, you know, his arm is a hundred pounds. <laughs> right. You know, so so it, it's kind of like you know, it's like they have weight classes for reasons. Mm-hmm. Like I, like I say, like you know, if you go if if you go to a tournament, you win your division, you do the open division, and every once in a while you get a, a guy much smaller than you. Was like really friggin' good, mm-hmm. and it makes for an interesting match, okay. But a lot of times they're just like smash, mm-hmm. okay, because both guys are, are, are the equivalent, 
Okay, you know, they're both really good. They're both at the same level. The good big guy usually has an advantage over the good little guy, mm-hmm. all things being equal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's why you don't see, you know, it's why you don't see like a lot of fighters struggle when they move up a weight class. Mm-hmm. And the ones that don't struggle are generally the ones that were cutting too much weight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they were, at that point, they were harming themselves by cutting, like you said, too much weight. Well, the idea is you have to find, you have to find the right way. Like I've always said, like if I, if I came back and, and took a mixed martial arts fight, it would be a 205. Mm-hmm. Even now, my, my brain and heart says 185. I would just deplete myself at this age way too much to make 185. Oh, for sure. Right. So like, like, like I tell people all the time, a lot of times it's about finding the right weight class. Like look at Frankie Edgar. Frankie mm-hmm. Edgar always preferred to fight at pretty much his walking around weight. Yeah, and he, he, was a, better. he wasn't the tallest guy either. But I mean, he right. got the belt. He was the 155 right. champion. And, and dude, he, he was tough. And it's kind of like I, I always say, sometimes it's just a matter of, okay, are you are you able to cut weight and bring it to the ring? Mm-hmm. Or are you not? I, I kind of at first, I didn't like what they were doing in California. But I think it might be actually decent for fighter safety, where they weigh them if the weigh-ins, and they're mm-hmm. allowed 10%. They're allowed to go up 10% of the night of the fight. Okay. Okay. Sim- simply because, like, you know, between you and I, and I, and I take, take a look at something. I'll go as low as 199 mm-hmm. for a pro match because I can cut weight as one match, 94 weight. Mm-hmm. For, for, for a tournament, I basically just go super heavyweight. Even when I'm around 215 and the weight class is 218, I just go super heavyweight. Why even worry about it? Mm hmm. That's a really good point, actually. Yeah, in other words, and, and, and it's kind of like some tournaments, like you weigh in when you get there in the morning. Mm-hmm. But if you like do the IBJJF or SJJF, uh, the big jiu-jitsu tournaments, you weigh in right before you get on the mat. That sounds exhausting, especially if you're like quote-unquote cutting to get well, to a certain weight. I've seen guys, I've seen guys, you know, that, that told me they cut 10 pounds, like even just 10 pounds for an IBJJF tournament and go out and they said they just felt like shit because you don't really what do you do you weigh in you have 10 minutes to suck down some water it's not even gonna hit your body yet and I, i'll never forget i cut 20 pounds and then that, near the tail end of it i rolled around with a couple guys mm-hmm. i was terrified dude, dude a good white belt would have smashed me Mm-hmm. This is how exhausting like I'm, 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 I'm talking. I'm talking. My abs were cramping. My chest was cramping. Like I couldn't move. I had no energy. Mm-hmm. My eyes were barely open. And I'm thinking to myself, I could shut never. Down. Yeah, I could never cut weight and just walk on a mat. Mm-hmm. It's impressive that people are out there that do that. I, I, they like have I, dialed I, it in. Well, honestly, some of that comes from wrestling. It's like I always say, you know, what we do. You know, I always say what we do is actually kind of easier than bodybuilding and wrestling. Mm-hmm. Okay, because in bodybuilding, you've got to make weight mm-hmm. and then you've got to look good. Okay, I make weight. I can look like I can look like an AIDS victim. <laughs> like, I'll be honest with you. I make 205. I look like two different people. <laughs> 205, I look like an AIDS victim. The next day, <laughs> the next day, I'm close to 220. Mm-hmm. Just that 15 pound difference. 
dude, he comes Jeez, right back there. on me. But like now, and then rest wrestling, wrestling is so bad because these kids have to hold at a lighter weight all season long. Yeah, especially you know, like compete. like the fact that it's kids doing it too. I don't necessarily think it's the healthiest. When my when my youngest son was competing, I wouldn't let him cut weight. You know, I'd rather see him. I'd rather see him go against bigger kids than cut weight because you don't want to stop their growth. I know, like you know, in other words, I had I had a family in Vegas. All three of them were D one wrestlers. All three of them were Nevada State champions. Okay, two of them were around 160, 165. The third was two fifty, and he was the youngest. And I used to joke around. What did he do? Box out the refrigerator so nobody could get to it. <laughs> and uh, basically, what it was is. He didn't wrestle until his uh, freshman year of high school. He played football. So he was always trying to get bigger during grade school instead of cutting weight for wrestling season. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think okay. it stunts your growth. Mm-hmm. You need that food. Like my son, my son right now is 6'6 six, six and about 180. Okay. And he's still skinny. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, who knows what you would have done to his height if he was trying to make like 125 pounds at 14 years old. Right. Definitely would have had an effect on like at least how the whole like metabolism and all those chemical reactions. Not not just that. I I think your bone growth, everything starts to get affected. Well, yeah, because at that point, it may not be getting the right nutrients, which is not allowing for uh, an anabolic state. So their body's not growing at that uh, prime developmental age. Exactly. It's, it's between the lines. Like when I when I when I see, like I see a lot of parents nowadays, uh, almost like putting their kids on diets. Okay, you know, it, it's kind of because like like they're on a keto diet or they're on this diet, so the kids on it too. Mm-hmm. Okay, I honestly think that's a mistake because kids have different needs than we do. I agree with that. You know, like you know, ex, extra fat. They're growing. They need it. Mm-hmm. They need all this extra stuff. Okay, like I, I can see keeping your kids away from soda because shit's toxic, you know. It, it, but but you know, it, it, it's kind of like you know, stopping your kid from from having having a little bit of fun with pizza is just crazy. I agree with that. How I how uh, my wife's actually pregnant right now. Oh, congratulations! So thank you very much. I appreciate it. So obviously, we're having all these discussions and stuff, and my whole philosophy is uh, like. I'll eat like my clean, whatever, if that's my so choosing, but my kid can have whatever, not whatever, but like if that kid wants a pizza and get a pizza and nachos. We can find time for that. Like, oh, I'm going to allow that kid to enjoy themselves. And if they choose to, you know, the, uh, the question I get is your family vegan. Hell no. <laughs> and like between you and I, I barbecue beef for them during the summer. Mm-hmm. Really? Okay. I love the barbecue. Mm-hmm. We eat it, but it's kind of like I would not make somebody else eat like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's kind of like, you know, I, I, I'm a big one on like, you know, it's kind of like I always love those memes where you see, uh, you know, go cut your dick off, smoke pot, do this, do that. I'll do me, just leave me out of it. Okay. <laughs> I'm a big one on you do you, I'll do me. Okay. In other words, you know, it, it, it's kind of like this whole vaccine thing. You want to get the vaccine? Get the vaccine. You don't want to get the vaccine? Don't get the vaccine. I'm not. I'm not going to get like all upset and hate somebody because they didn't get the vaccine. I made it. I made a choice based on 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 the fact number one, my mother in law is living with me. 
Mm-hmm. She's in the high risk category. Plus I teach. So I felt I had a responsibility. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was a personal, that was a personal decision that you were able to make as an adult, you know, I'm not about to tell you like, you know, between you and I, the government's having problems getting financing for service contracts. Mm-hmm. Because right now, if you do a service contract, everybody for every everybody who works for a company that's named on the contract has to have a vaccination. Okay, and like you know, like for the sake of argument, a hedge fund or a bank isn't going to go for that. Mm-hmm. They'll just finance something else. Okay, so it, it, it's kind of like you know, I, I just get a kick out of how you know this this over this overreach is actually making it harder for them. Mm, like it's backfiring. Yeah. Because it, it's Sorry about that. You keep, keep me on, top, on topic. Yeah. No, you're no, fine. You're absolutely fine. We're totally okay with everything. That's actually what I, what, what I do for a living. I finance government contracts. So it's kind of like, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, that that's honestly one of the reasons we were able to move to Virginia because of the, uh, the whole COVID outbreak break and PPE. My business just went nuts. Mm. Like it became like I 24 7, 365. I was on the phone at midnight, three in the morning with Asia. That sounds exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, listen, it's like anything else. In other words, you know, if, if you hang on for four or five years, uh, hey, you know, it was worth it. Mm-hmm. If you stick it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the idea is we're, we're building a family compound here. We're doing a whole off the grid thing. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. And it's not, you know, it's not, once again, that tinfoil hat. I'm not expecting Armageddon. <laughs> okay it's just that you know i like i like the idea of not being dependent on anybody like having right, your own absolutely food, uh you know having having solar power you know everything like that i just i just like the idea that like if the grid ever did go down be as self-sufficient bad, as you can well between you and i one of the things that really bothers me is it used to be like between you and i like let, like take the vaccination it used to be you and I could discuss it. Like, you know, I had a discussion at a school in Virginia with a guy, and we, you know, we both agreed to disagree. Like, I joked with him, and I said, let's face it. It boils down to natural selection. If the vaccine kills me, and I'm wrong, natural selection. If not getting the vaccine kills you, and you're wrong, it's natural selection. Mm-hmm. And we agreed that we don't agree on the vaccine. We, <laughs> We remain boys and we continue to train together. Like grown okay. fucking adults should. But that seems to have disappeared nowadays. Okay, nowadays it's either you agree with me 100% or you're against or, me. Or, or you're my enemy. Like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I, I'm sorry, I kind of feel like the Republicans and the Democrats are the same people. They both want to screw me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it, it's kind of like, you know, you're telling me I should believe in the guy who, who wants to screw me this way as opposed to screw me that way. It's like, it's, it's literally pick your poison at that point. Right. And, and that's what I don't understand. Why, why people just can't be like, you know, they can't be reasonable that shit anymore. Like I yet. actually had a guy, I had actually had a guy and it was so funny because like, I'm down here, I'm a, I'm a new school in the area, people are reaching out and, you know, of course they don't have any BJJ, you know, within a mile, a mile and a quarter, I mean, an hour and a quarter. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's kind of like, guy reaches out and I've had a few people ask me about COVID precautions. And like, I always go, you know, I, I send them a video of two guys rolling in a Tyvek uh, isolation suit. Mm-hmm. And I say like, unless we're going to do this. COVID precautions are very difficult. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And, and I got back to him. Now, a lot of people haven't come in because of COVID. And I can understand that. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a right, you know, that, that you have a right to be afraid. It's something to be scared of. Okay. I'm just not going to be scared of it. But it, it, it's one of those things that like, you know, this guy got upset. I said, like, I happen to be vaccinated. I know a lot of it. I have a few cops. They're all vaccinated. A few people that had to get vaccinated from their work. Okay. So I, I said, I know most of the students are vaccinated. There's a few that aren't. And I said, hey, listen, if somebody wants to wear a mask, they're, they're welcome to wear a mask if they're concerned about COVID. He got irate that I would let somebody wear a mask training. <laughs> how it infringes on the other people's training if I let people wear masks so I just got back to him and I said it's better you find a different school because <laughs> you know as far as I'm concerned if, if, if you're going to start out telling me what I should do mm-hmm. yeah. I don't even want to know you oh I get that like once you know, you're at that place if, like if you want to wear if you want to wear five masks in your car by yourself and gloves cool yeah I may laugh Okay, but I'm not going to give you a hard time. Mm-hmm. Okay, but like you know, I, I'm not about to. Oh yeah, I agree. Just we're all people. We all like like you said earlier. You got your own thing. I got my own thing. We all got our own thing. Well, we're well, going back going back to the martial arts. In other words, it's, it's one of the things I really love about mixed martial arts nowadays. Is we seem to, for the most part, have evolved past. Jiu-jitsu is everything. Uh-huh. Kickboxing is everything. But, you know, in other words, we've got to the stage where, okay, even guys that are stud BJJ players are either doing judo or wrestling. If they're fighting, half of them are spending more time in the boxing gym than they are in the jiu-jitsu gym. So it's, it's no longer people insisting their style is the best they're starting to understand that a blend of styles is the best. It's who can produce the best combination of all the styles. Well, together. Like, I, I always say, you know, my, I got my black belt from Ricardo Calvo Combat. Mm-hmm. And my jujitsu is very different than his jujitsu. And like I always say, my jujitsu is very different than a lot of people's jujitsu because I came to it from a non jujitsu background. Okay, and we all have uh, we all have rules of combat. Like jujitsu has rules. Mm-hmm. Like techniques are built around concepts and rules. Okay, I have mine from the bond, which is a Burmese grappling style. So every time I encounter something, I tend to go back to my my combat principles. Mm-hmm. Does it abide by my com- combat principles? And if it doesn't, I either try to adjust it. Mm-hmm. Or I delete it. Get rid of it. Like, like between you and I, uh, the bond allows open hand strikes, like the old, old school pancreas. Mm-hmm. I cannot teach deep half guard. I stick my arm under your leg and duck under. I start to twitch because I know I'm getting hit. Mm-hmm. I can't teach something that doesn't protect me from getting hit. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's just something I can't do. So, in other words, I'm not a guy who teaches a lot of deep half guard. I'll show you the basics of the shoot few three, six sweeps there in case you get there. And yes, it may handicap me in a grappling match, mm-hmm. but I would rather be prepared for a fight. For a real life outdoor, you know. Well, it's also example. like I'm not, I'm not big on daily heaver guard. Not that it's not a great guard, especially in gate, but it exposes you to leg locks. 
Sorry about that. No, no problem. Um, so, I mean, we're coming up on oh, around an hour and a half. We don't want to take up too much more of your time. But uh, I did have a question about um, your asylum fight team. I was doing some research on that, and it really piqued my interest. I wondered if you could uh, just kind of walk me through how you got that started and uh, why. Well, honestly, it started out back in New Jersey in, in the early days. Actually, a little bit before mixed martial arts started. Uh, I started uh, teaching, and I started, I called it advanced fighting systems. Okay. And it was kind of like, you know, I believe, you know, because I fused all ranges that I was different than, than a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And then what happened is for years, I was teaching out of, I had a house in Mawa, New Jersey, and we had done a huge construction project on it. I had two rooms downstairs. One was 50 by 17 and the other was 20 by 25 by 25. And I had a shower and a bathroom down there. Mm-hmm. And I turned the big room into a giant cage and a small room into a boxing room. And basically, I kind of became a finishing school for fighters. Like, I I probably had about 45, 50 students. Okay. And most of them came from, like, like maybe some of them did a little bit of jujitsu and they wanted to get into mixed martial arts. Okay. So, like, my my focus was more on training fighters. And uh, I used to do seminars every once in a while on adding fouling. To your uh, to your MMA game, uh, the, the the name the name the White Rhino BJJ mixed martial arts and BJJ mm-hmm. is because my nickname was the White Rhino because I, I had twenty eight knockouts by headbutt Burmese boxing with last headbutts. So twenty eight knockouts by I was headbutts I was headbutts from everywhere. Is Still there, to this day, I love headbutts. Is there anywhere I can like find a video of you just bashing your head into someone else's? Uh, I'm actually doing an instructional thing on headbutts right now. You are? Yeah. So it, it'll be out <laughs> soon. Uh, but it, 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 it's one of those things where I tell people it's, uh, I, 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 I was teaching a lot of adding eye gouging and, and biting and headbutting to your MMA techniques. You're controlling a guy on the ground. Why not stick your thumb in his eye? <laughs> okay, so I, I was doing a lot of that, and, and I became kind of known as the crazy guy in the basement. So it's kind of like, you know, I, I thought of the name Asylum, like an insane asylum, because I'm the crazy guy in the basement. And on top of that, like, you know, I always liked the duality of it, that like an asylum was a safe place. Okay, now, one of the things I always loved about it, like training was it was a safe place for somebody who maybe isn't violent to come in and explore that aspect of his personality. One of the reasons, one of my favorite people in history is Teddy Roosevelt, Mm -hmm. because of that duality between the intellectual and the physical, Mm -hmm. okay? And I'm a big believer that you need both to be a whole person. I agree, I agree. And and then what what happened is I I went through, I went through a divorce and, uh, you know, I moved out of the house and everything. So I opened up a big school in New Jersey and it turned out to be probably the biggest mistake I made because it started to become a business. Uh-huh. You know, I had a couple hundred students. I was teaching a lot of classes. I was doing a lot of privates and then I got cancer and I had to jettison the privates and I got down to the point where I could only teach two classes a day. And then what happened is I ended up, uh, I had retired at 40 from work and then I went back to work and moved to Vegas. I went into government finance instead of government contracting. A company bought me out to Vegas to set them up in government 
finance. And, you know, basically what they did is they offered me a really good salary. They moved me out there, paid a year's rent, and they gave me an insurance policy that if I died, because I was supposed to die. And if I died, they were going to give my my wife was going to get a couple million dollars. So basically, it, it was one of those things. And my wife found a, a guy with a treatment protocol just over the border of Mexico. He was actually at a clinic in Los Angeles, but he did the treatments in Mexico that was able to target the type of cancer I had. And then I went into remission and now I'm cancer free. But it, Congrats. It's one, yeah, thank you. It's, it's, it's one of those things where uh, then I just gave up the advanced fighting system, became the asylum fight team. And then what, what happened is when I was out in Vegas, uh, somebody talked me into starting to use the white rhino moniker. Okay. So it's asylum fight team, white rhino, MMA, BJJ. Mm-hmm. Okay, the school is White Rhino MMA BJJ, whereas the uh, the fighters fight for the asylum fight team. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, Phil, I think that's everything we have for you tonight. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you very much for joining us. Uh, this was very interesting. I had a great time. And hope uh, I wasn't. I hope I wasn't too much all over the place because it's oh, just had a tendency to do that. No, we love that. Honestly, we. we oh, okay, really okay. Care. I know. I know. I can. I can be tough on certain people because some people like, you know, I can't believe he just said the F word. Okay. <laughs> or, or when I go on a stream of consciousness, I can see they're trying to get me back on track. You know? Yeah. We're, I mean, our podcast tends to go uh, from one to a hundred in 0.5 seconds, every topic all over the place. We are totally okay with that. And, uh, and I, I think it makes for a more interesting conversation. And if you can't tell, uh, by trade, I've always been like a person that sells and negotiates. So uh-huh. like, you know, I make my living, like, you know, I, I think it was you that asked me if I had Zoom. I spend my day on Zoom. I, I, like I've had all the meeting programs and I probably spend seven hours a day in video meetings. Wow. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I'm really used to battling on the computer. <laughs> I mean, it made for a great conversation. And uh, I mean, this has been one of my favorite episodes by far. So oh, thank great. you very I appreciate much. that. We appreciate um, your time and your knowledge and your experience, especially with, you know, jujitsu and MMA. We're fans. Also, of also, let me know when it comes out and I'll start plugging it on the social media. Oh, oh thank, thank you, you very much. It. I, yeah, thank you. Definitely. I think we should have it up uh, by the end of the weekend, Sunday at the latest. Oh, you guys work fast. <laughs> yeah, we're very fast. <laughs> uh, that actually reminds me. I follow you on social media, and I love your, what is it, Bullshito Master? Like, bull, bullshit. Uh. One, of, one, of my, one of my things, and I, I, I honestly, I don't hate it. I get a kick out of it. I used to hate these guys. Like, the touch knockout guys, the no touch, all that bullshit. Okay, but then I got to the point where, you know, like P.T. Barnum must have been right. There's a sucker born any every minute. In this day and age where you have access to real training almost everywhere, these people would rather do this fantasy crap. Nobody just wants to live in the real fucking world anymore. Well, you know, but, but what bothers me about it, though, is these people actually think it works. And then the first time you see them in a fight, like that guy that got in trouble in China for exposing all the masters, he'd challenge them to a fight, they'd fight, and he'd wreck them because they'd never been in a fight. <laughs> if you haven't been punched in the face, I'll never forget that one Japanese guy that was like a no-touch guy. Like, you know, he threw people around without touching them. He has a fight with an amateur fighter who punches him in the face 
he just clutches his face like this and turns around and walks away. And the ref is like, are you going to continue? Are you, you could tell he'd never been punched in the face before. Everybody you know, had bullshit his whole life. Punched in the face. Well, like I, I always, I always said, like my students aren't going to be surprised if you punch me in the face, okay? Because I get punched in the face all the time. You know, half the times I, I, I let me throw the punch and I headbutt it. Okay, so it's not unusual for you to break my head. head. Oh, don't laugh. That's one of the most effective headbutts. Guy throws a punch, you hit him with a crown of your head and break his hand. Oh, wow. Holy shit! I didn't even know that. <laughs> There's actually a Burmese boxing match between a guy who was nicknamed Ironhead, okay, and another guy where the other guy throws an elbow and he headbutts it and shatters the elbow. Holy shit. He wins by TKO elbow shatter. You said his name was Ironhead? They call him Ironhead. I need to watch this. I watch it. If I'm not mistaken, Sway One Tongue. S-H-W-E-W-U-N-T-U-N. Sway One Tongue. Okay. He actually fought into his 50s. Holy shit. Yeah. Longevity. I, I, I think the fight where he broke the elbow was in his late 40s. God damn. Can you imagine? <laughs> still, still a couple of years left in him after that. Yeah, exactly. Like I always try to tell people, like, you know, it's like everybody, everybody, everybody wants to say nowadays age is just a number. I'm sorry. It's not just a number. It is real. <laughs> but what you do with the number is up to you. Uh-huh. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Like, if you want to sit on your couch after college and do nothing, you're probably going to be toast at 40. Mm-hmm. If, if you work out, eat right, and train, you're going to have a good quality of life at 70. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to play basketball with my grandkids. I want to do things with my grandkids. Right. Okay. And like, like, like I say, you know, it, it, a lot of it is like, I'm not necessarily going to live longer because I take care of myself, but I'm going to have a better quality of life mm-hmm. while you're alive. Absolutely. As long yeah, as you're like, moving, you're improving. Well, like, like I say, you know, it's like when, when I tell somebody, you know, like somebody asked me when I'm going to stop, when I can't. <laughs> like, you know, in other words, when you can't get me, like, you know, I, I think as long as you can get me to the mat on a wheelchair, I can fight from guard. I'm joking <laughs> about that. But like I used to, I used to joke that, you know, you're going to wheel me down to the mat at 75 and just dump me on the mat to grapple. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there, I, it was actually, there was, was actually, actually well, go ahead. It just the the wheelchair thing reminded me. I took a jujitsu class once a couple years ago, but there was a guy who would regularly come, and he his legs didn't work, so he would just do everything from you know, from what he can with his upper body. Do me a favor. Look up Kyle Maynard. Kyle, Kyle Maynard. Maynard. He's a motivational speech speaker. Okay, and like I saw one of his motivational speeches. He's got he's a thalidomide baby. And you guys are a little bit young, so you might not know where that what that was. But when, when I when I was when I was you know when my mother was pregnant, if you had morning sickness, the doctors gave you thalidomide, and sometimes it would affect what body part was growing at this specific time you were taking the thalidomide. He was born with no arms or legs. He's got like little little flippers. Uh-huh. Okay, and like you know, he's got movement in the flippers, but they're just flippers. Uh-huh. Okay. They have no grip or anything. He wrestled in college and he grapples competitively. He actually took a mixed martial arts fight, which was horrifying to watch. Oh, no. Well, we, the, guy, the guy he was fighting was actually, uh, his mother was a special ed teacher. So when he interviewed him, he said, This guy wants to do it. I'm going to give him what he wants to do. I'm going to treat him like a fighter. Oh, yeah. He, he basically, person. now remember, he's a downed opponent, so you can't kick him. 
He basically stood there and just punched him in the face until the fight was over. Like, you know, just used his length to punch him in the face. But in grappling, I watched him compete at a MAGA. And basically, he submitted all his opponents. Now, now what's crazy is you can't hold the position on him. He's got no limbs. Like, how do you how do you hold guard on a guy that has no legs? Okay, now now here's the funny part. He can move, he can move with the flippers. Okay, but what's so funny is now now picture picture my body, my torso doing 150 pound position. Okay, so remember he's got no arms and legs, but he's got a big torso. Okay, so he's going against these long lanky guys. He'll get the side position, he'll slide his flipper under their neck and choke them out with shoulder pressure. Oh, okay. He choked all three guys out. And then I started started following him because between you and I, I admire people. Okay, you know, you you may say my vision's not good, so I can't. You (laughs) may say this, so I can't. I admire the guys that like, I got no legs. Fuck it, I'm gonna. (laughs) Hell yeah. Uh, You know, in other words, I'm all about these dreamers who wake up and they and they and they, and they don't do anything. <laughs> then there's the doers who dream and make it reality. Mm-hmm. I love people that overcome obstacles. I saw him do an inspirational speech one time, and his start was he's up. They they got him on a stool, and there's a glass next to the stool mm-hmm. by the microphone, and he starts acting like he's trying to get the glass, <laughs> and he goes, "Well, that's not going to work." And then he looks at the crowd and he says, "You know." Everybody's got problems. Everybody thinks their problems are the worst problems. Look at me. I can't even wipe my own ass. And it really put things in perspective. In other words, I'm worried about shit, and this guy has to have somebody else wipe his ass. Right? Dude, it's so it's so easy to get caught up in your own shit, your own, you know, life, the negativity that can like just build the fatigue. But honestly, I really but, see it on social media and, and it kind of hurts my heart. I see all these kids coming up now. Okay. And then you're in a world where whether it's computers, whether it's not, you don't even have to go to college to educate yourself. Uh-huh. All the information in the world is available. Okay, go out learn a skill, market yourself, become successful. Mm-hmm. Okay. In other words, everybody has that opportunity now, but I see so many people with this abject hopelessness and, and it really pains me because it's kind of like they believe that. And, and, and it, honestly, it's not true. Like, you know, I saw, I saw an, uh, an article where a guy was Uber driving like 90 hours a week, made almost $200,000 in a single year, invested the money in Bitcoin, and he's a millionaire. Where else can you do that? Yeah, but what what I'm saying is, I'm not saying everybody's going to do that. Uh But this is one of those places where if you come up with an idea, Hey, and, and like between you and I, sometimes success is nothing more than, hey, like, you know, I go out and lose. And one of the things I'll tell you about getting older, when I was younger, I had a lot of A days where I walked out there and I'm like, oh, yeah, this, I'm feeling this shit. Okay, nowadays you show up. 
Uh-huh. You think you're going to have an A day and you're like cold crap. You just suck. Okay. One thing that you notice when you get older is you have a lot of F days, a lot more D days, a lot more C days, and a lot fewer A days. You just got to accept it and keep going. Right. You know, you're learning, you know, learning, the process of learning can apply to comp. Everybody wants to win in competition. I'm one of those guys. I, I don't play checkers to lose. Mm-hmm. Okay. I play checkers with you. I'm going to try to win. I'm not going to get butthurt if I lose, but I'm going to try to win. Okay. But it's kind of like, you know, losing is how you learn. Losing is how you learn what you want to work on. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and, you know, it's kind of like I always tell people in a tournament format or the, or the competition format, it's the best time to learn because it's true pressure testing because mm-hmm. the other guy's really trying to kill you. Mm-hmm. That just reminded me of a really good quote um, that Derek Lewis, Lewis tweeted uh, earlier today, actually. He said, people who avoid failure also avoid success. Yes. Okay. If you show me somebody that's very successful, they usually fail multiple, multiple times. Yeah. Hey, come on. We'll, I'll go back to Trump. How many times has he gone bankrupt? No matter what you think about him, the man was a fucking president of the United States. Mm, he as got there horrifying somewhere. as that may be. When he won, I thought it was like, I thought I was in a comic. It was a cartoon. It couldn't be true. Okay. But I, I had done business with him back in New York and I've never been a fan. Okay. But it's kind of like, it's one of those, it's one of those things. He'd been bankrupt several times. Okay. Made fortunes, gone bankrupt. And then he became president of the friggin' United States. That's craziness. The guy from Home Alone 2 becomes the president of the United States. What a thought. <laughs> but I know you guys got to get buzzing. And listen, I appreciate it. I had a good time and we'll let you guys get going. Can you uh, shout out your social medias for us? Yes. Uh, if you want to uh, hook up with me on Facebook or Instagram, it's uh, Phil Dunlap. And you'll, you'll see a picture of me with Chell Simon. And if you want to check out uh, the school, it's listed under www. LexingtonBJJ.com. Okay, sweet. Thank you, Thank very, you very much, much Phil. Phil. Okay, listen, have a great night and let me know when it drops. Absolutely. Hey. Uh, we're planning on Sunday night, so hopefully I'll uh, get a hold of you on Sunday with the link and everything, and uh, we can go from there. Okay, perfect. Have a great night, bud. Thanks, Phil. Have we a, very much appreciate okay, it. Okay, bye-bye. Have a blessed night, Phil. Have a good one.